You are listening to Intergenerational Politics with Jill Wine-Banks and Victor Shi, where we host weekly political discussions that are engaging and relevant to all generations with experts on various issues facing our country today. This is Victor Shi. I'll be an incoming freshman at UCLA, and I'm also a proud co-host of this podcast and perhaps more relevant to today's conversation. I am the youngest uh, Joe Biden delegate here in Illinois. Um, Before we get into our discussion, Jill, can you introduce yourself to everyone listening? Sure. I'm Jill Wine-Banks, Victor's co-host and also an MSNBC legal analyst, as well as a former Watergate prosecutor, Deputy Attorney General of Illinois, General Counsel of the Army under the Carter administration and uh, many other things in my long career. I am also a very proud Biden delegate. I signed up early, um, as did our guest today, I believe, who was a supporter. Is that correct, Brad? That that is correct. I was actually the first member of the Illinois congressional delegation to endorse the vice president. I knew he was the right person to take us to the future, to unite the country, and make sure that we are uh, the nation we all want to be. Sure. Thank you. And I think, uh, Victor, did you want to introduce Brad because you worked for him? Yeah. So um, today the guest that we have on is was uh, my former boss. So I started with his campaign in 2016, um, right before my freshman year and um, lasted till last summer. And I was a campaign intern for him. So lots of canvassing, phone banking, um, fun parades. And it was just such a enriching experience that I hope everyone will join a congressional campaign um, during their time um, as a high school or college student. It's a lot of fun, but um, I'll kick it off to Jill to kick off our first half of this conversation, which we'll talk about um, first mail-in ballots and kind of what's been happening with that, and then shift into um, this week's uh, celebration, which is the DNC convention. So I'm really excited to be able to talk to someone who will be returning to Washington this weekend to take up the critical issue of funding the United States Parcel Service, Post Service, Postal Service, and uh, not just because of mail ballots, but because of veterans getting their prescriptions through the mail, because of seniors getting their social security checks, because people getting photos of their grandchildren when they are in isolation and can't see them. There's so many reasons that we need to support USPS. And so, Speaker Pelosi has called this extraordinary session uh, during the August recess. What do you expect to happen? What, do you, what bill do you think will come up and what will pass the House? Uh, great question. So uh, specific to the question, on Saturday, the House will be um, voting on something called Deliver for America Act. This is a bill that's coming out of the Oversight Committee. Carolyn Maloney is the chairwoman. It has $25 billion in funding. Uh, for the post office. It also would require standards of service and operations to be reset back to where it was in January, uh, well before the, Donald Trump's postmaster general, um, uh, Louis DeJoy, came in and started literally sabotaging the post office. So uh, it's the funds and it's the reset. But why is that important? It, as you mentioned, so much depends on our post office. It's seniors getting their social security checks or medicines in the mail. It's veterans getting their paychecks and medicines through the mail. It's all of us who are doing so much more uh, online shopping. Those packages that come to our door, more often than not, the last mile getting it to the door is delivered by the United States Postal Service. So we have to uh, reinforce, defend, and protect our postal service. And lastly, it's because of our elections. We have to make sure that people can cast their ballot from home and safely vote for whoever they choose to vote for. 
I hope it's Joe Biden, and then make sure that that ballot gets to the um, the clerk or, or whoever's doing the counting in each state. So now we have this really unusual situation where the president is basically saying to our faces, I'm hurting the post office because I don't want you to vote by mail because it'll hurt Republicans. Right. And you have the postmaster general who has a competing business, uh, so he has a clear conflict in my view, um, saying I'm going to take away sorting machines, I'm going to take away overtime hours, I'm going to remove post boxes. Uh, so we really have a very serious, as you use the word, sabotage of the post office. And my understanding is that DeJoy is going to also testify um, this either weekend or again next week. I think he's scheduled for two different days. And what can you give us a little preview of what questions you have for the Postmaster General? Sure. So he'll be testifying in front of the Oversight Committee on Monday, I believe, the 24th. And uh, what I saw is that he'll be coming to the Senate beforehand. Um, they're maybe trying to, to set, set the narrative. But there's really some basic questions that need, need to be asked. Uh, first, let's, let's talk about the post office. The post office delivers 500,000 pieces of mail each and every day. If every uh, American, I'm sorry, um, 500 million pieces of mail a day. If every American voted, it'd be 140 million um, pieces of mail. It should not overwhel overwhelm the post office. We handle the holidays. The post office can handle this. The only way that the post office is not going to be able to do what they need to do for the nation is if there's an active step to undermine it. And that's what DeJoy has been doing, taking out the sorters, taking out the, the boxes, limiting uh, overtime, limiting ability for uh, mail carriers to come back and and, and finish their routes. So I think the questions that I hope are asked are what is it specifically that you're doing? Give him the chance to explain his reasoning, but to shine a light on it from Congress and for the American people that we can see that the, this administration, President Trump, this Postmaster General DeJoy, are literally trying to undermine the stability and confidence we have in our Postal Service. Can you think of any explanation that would make sense to you about removing sorting machines, uh, about removing post boxes? Is there any uh, efficiency that he is trying to achieve? So I spent my whole career in, in um, business before coming to Congress. I, I was an industrial engineer. I understand processes and systems. Uh, you might replace your sorting machines with new machines that are more efficient, higher capacity, higher volume, greater accuracy. But the idea that you would replace these automated sorting machines with people going through the mail and argue that that's faster is just absurd. What he's really trying to do is slow down the system and, um, and, and make it, uh, in the appearance of efficiencies, make it so it's impossible to uh, safely uh, complete our election process. Well, I know I will feel a lot better after he is questioned by Congress and after uh, the House passes the bill, but you mentioned two things. One is that the Senate may have him testify before the House does, and that they will be setting the stage, much as, for example, William Barr did in you announcing the, um, the, the Mueller report saying no collusion, no obstruction, when in fact, the actual document said there was. And yet, 
people heard that message first and went, oh, okay, I don't have to pay attention to the rest. Um, so we might anticipate that. And then the second part of that is once the House passes protection for the United States Postal Service, what do you expect to happen in the Senate? Two great questions. On, on the first one, you know, one of the challenges, and Trump understands this as well as anybody, is uh, people get numb to the news. You hear the same thing over and over, or the repeat of the story, and, and we move on. It's not that our attention spans are, are, are short. It's that there's so much happening, it's hard to, to manage it all. And so I think, as you mentioned, the administration, I expect them to try to replay the um, uh, William Barr strategy, uh, misdirect, misconstrue, and, and try to deflect uh, the reality. The reality is, is that uh, Louis DeJoy and, and Donald Trump are trying to undermine our, our post office, and we're not going to allow that to happen because so much is at stake. What do I expect to happen in the Senate? Well, I think what we saw already, the, the announcement by DeJoy that he was going to suspend, he needs to go back and do the reset, but a suspend is the first step, is a reflection of, of the uh, necessity of, of, of the people to speak out and, uh, and condemn these, these steps that are undermining our, our democracy. We've seen that. We've seen that across the country, and I hope it will continue. And I hope in continuing that pressure on the Senate, Mitch McConnell will pick up the, the House bill, or if he has a, a bill of his own, let him offer one in the conference between the Senate and the House can, can resolve the differences. But we need to, not just on the, the Post Office, but on the HEROES Act, on so many other pieces of legislation, we need that progress to go forward. So just a few more questions before I turn it over to Victor to talk about the convention. Um, I, I, I wanna talk a little bit about the voting that we have to do, not just for president, but for all the down ballot, uh, because as we're just talking about now, when you have the Republican controlled Senate, nothing gets done because they won't take up your bills and they will dilute them if they'll even have a hearing at all. Uh, so it's very important that we elect a blue Congress, House and Senate. Um, so I wanna talk about that, but I wanna also specifically talk about it in the context of how can people safely vote during COVID. We know that they can, in Illinois and in almost every state, can apply for a no excuse ballot for mail. They don't have to have a, a statement that I'm traveling out of the country. Right. They can say I'm afraid of COVID and that justifies getting the ballot. They can then either mail back the ballot if they get it early enough and if they mail it back early enough because you don't wanna take a chance that Trump will continue to slow down the mail and that it won't get there in time. Um, they can also drop it off at the post, at the polling place or in a secure lockbox that I think most states are setting up. So can you tell us in Illinois how people can vote and talk a little bit about the importance of the down ballot races? Yeah, let me first talk about the importance of the down ballot races because it really is critical that, that people vote all the way down to the end of, of, of every ballot. Uh, we say every two years it's the most important election of our lifetime, and it's true. Every two years is important because it's building on the previous election. Uh, every 10 years, elections have a, a greater consequence because we have the census and, and how things happen uh, with the election, especially in the state uh, legislatures, uh, affects how the um, congressional seats are apportioned, uh, are apportioned, and this is one of those 10-year elections. We need to make sure that people are voting not just for the president, Senate, and House, but also for their state legislatures. But this election, if every election is the most important and every 10 years is more consequential, this election 
is the most important, most consequential election in our country's history because of the division we're seeing from the, the, the administration, because of the efforts, uh, the folks in the administration, Mr. Barr, Mr. DeJoy that we talked about, Betsy DeVos, we need to, to make huge changes in this country uh, to get back on track to make sure we're, we're living up to our ideals. So let me now talk about how we're voting in, in Illinois. And Illinois has been uh, using uh, vote by mail for a long time. Uh, there are states around the country, Washington, Oregon, Utah, Colorado, Hawaii, that have been uh, doing exclusive uh, mail-in ballots. Uh, in Illinois, many, many counties, like Lake, uh, they're sending the application for a ballot. You can just mail it back and get your uh, ballot uh, beginning next month. Uh, otherwise, you can go online and, and or, or call your county clerk uh, to get the ballot. Completing the ballot is easy. You can do it at your kitchen table at your desk. Uh, evaluate who you want to support, but please, as I said before, go down every single line in that ballot from the president all the way down to in, in Lake County. I think the last line is probably coroner or, or maybe judge. But we need to vote for all of those. And when you're done, you can put it in the mail. Uh, it, it's posted page, but if you want to put a stamp to make sure it gets first class mail treatment, that's fine. Or you can drop it off at many of the drop off boxes that are being put up around the state. So voting is safe. If you don't want to vote by mail, there's really voting. People can go to the polls, and obviously on election day, uh, the polls will be open. And uh, so however you're comfortable with, just make sure that you vote. One thing we learned from talking to Representative Jan Schakowsky yesterday was that part of the bill you're going to consider in the House on Saturday is a guarantee that, as has always been the case, ballots are paid at a bulk rate but will be treated as first-class mail and processed as if they were first-class mail. And hopefully that bill will pass. I can't even imagine how Republicans can vote against it, but I'm constantly shocked by what Republicans in this administration will do. So assuming it passes, of course, then definitely no stamp is needed. And um, there are lawsuits uh, being brought now claiming that this is the equivalent of a poll tax. And I'm old enough that uh, there were still five states that had poll taxes when it was made unconstitutional uh, in 1964. So we have to be careful because this is not, people shouldn't have to pay to vote and they shouldn't have to risk their lives to vote in person. They should have these alternatives. Um, so I, I think that a really, absolutely. yeah, I mean, that covers what we're trying to do and we, we are trying to keep on our website um, information about places that you can go online to apply for your absentee ballot. I applied online in the state of Illinois and got a confirmation that they had received my application. So I feel like I'm going to get mine and I, I will vote as soon as I get it. I mean, I know who I will be supporting anyway. Uh, like you, I've been a Biden makes supporter it easier, from the right. beginning. Yes, mm -hmm. it does. And, right. and I will do and, the research on the down your, ballot. Uh, ballot. Go ahead. And, and uh, I know in Lake County and Cook County, there's ability to go online and track your ballot and make sure it's uh, been received. So um, yeah, as far as the, the pricing, is, as you mentioned, this administration is looking every possible way, <laughs> and they're going to come up with uh, new and creative ideas to make it harder for people to vote. They don't want us to vote. They understand that if every American votes, they're gonna lose this election. Uh, we need to make sure that everyone is able to vote, cast their vote, yeah. do it safely, and have confidence, actually certainty, that their, their vote is going to be counted and the outcome of the election will reflect yeah. the will of the American people. Yeah.
So, well, Victor? Yeah, so, I mean, shifting this conversation to this big moment in presidential politics, which is the Democratic National Convention, um, Jill and I have been doing kind of debriefs every single night on either Facebook or YouTube Live, but um, so far for the first two nights, I think what we've been seeing is just the message of um, electing Joe Biden, kicking Donald Trump out of office, and um, for you, being a congressman and also um, knowing the importance of electing down-ballot uh, down Democrats and uh, Joe Biden, um, what are your thoughts on the speakers and the format of the virtual convention so far? I think the convention's been tremendous. Uh, so much better than I, I expected it, it would be. I was disappointed. I've never been to a convention. Uh, for a full convention, I went out to Denver in uh, 2008 to hear President Obama uh, give his acceptance speech. I really went out to hear um, uh, someone who became a colleague, John Lewis, speak on the anniversary of, of the March on Washington uh, was uh, was the highlight. The, uh, the roll call of the state, they said now would be a good time to take a break. It was so wonderful to go state by state into the territory yes. and just get a, a little, even a postcard picture is what we were getting of, of each one of those states. But it, it makes you proud to be an American. Uh, you, you understand who we are as a nation, the, the mosaic that makes up the United States and, and the way that mosaic is, is held together uh, by our connective tissue. Um, that, that was just fantastic. And I thought uh, um, our soon-to-be First Lady, Jill Biden, um, was, was wonderful. So I'm excited to, to see tonight's program. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I can't wait till Thursday. Yeah, for sure. I mean, tonight, I think we have Kamala Harris, um, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama. So it'll be a packed event um, tonight, but kind of speaking to strategy now and kind of where we find ourselves with this convention, one major theme or thing that's been raised up um, that we must do in this election and beyond is to win key voters, including um, my generation, which is the younger generation. Um, this is something that Jill and I have talked a lot about. We Sometimes we find it confusing that there are still young voters out there who are still hesitant to support Joe Biden, even though they supported Bernie Sanders. And um, I'm just curious because you are part of... Um, the DCCC, which is committed to electing Democrats up and down the ticket. Um, what do you think the Biden campaign has to do in order to persuade some of those younger voters who still may be hesitant to uh, get on board with the Biden campaign? Yeah. So I don't know that it's a matter of, of um, persuading them to get on board with the Biden campaign. I'm going to take mm -hmm. it a step further. I think we have to make sure that uh, young people like yourself, Victor, and uh, I'll, I'll include my kids who are 25 and 27. Um, that, that your generation as a whole understands what's at stake and second, understands that your voice matters, that you have the opportunity, you, your generation, has the chance to direct how we take on the challenges we face as a country. I got into politics 10 years ago, nine years ago, because I looked at my sons who were then your age, a senior in high school and a, a sophomore in high school, my oldest was about to go to college, and said, the the challenges your generation faces are so great that if my generation, Jill, you and I don't start tackling these problems, your gener generation doesn't have a chance. But every generation is going to put their interests front and center, as they should. And so what's so important is that our young people, those who are voting for the first time at 18 or second, third, fourth time, a little bit older, understand that. So you win some and you lose some, but overall, going to the ballot box, making sure your vote is cast, puts us in the direction we need to head. It's when we back away, when we turn our backs on the responsibility to vote, that we end up with elections like four years ago when a president like Donald Trump. And we can't let that happen. So then it falls on, on um, the Biden-Harris uh, campaign 
to connect and talk to every generation, but we're, we're now talking about your generation, and make sure that we understand the issues. You know, hopefully this is something that I've tried very hard to do. I'm proud of the fact that you spent four years working on my campaigns while in high school, and I hate the fact that you're leaving me, but I wish you well in UCLA. But I am also proud of the fact that you're one of a long line of young people who spent three or four years of their high school working on our campaigns, connecting not just with the issues we were talking about, but with the voters and bringing them out to, to move forward. And that's what we have to do. Sure. I mean, I think something that's been reiterated time and time again with this election is that we must not just win by like two, three, four points, we must win by overwhelming margins so that Donald Trump can't challenge the results in any way. And as you look beyond the convention and head into the general election season, um, I think the uncertainty will only grow with Donald Trump's attacks on the mail-in ballots and just how we conduct our election. Um, what do you think d Democrats have to focus on in order to drive voter turnout turn, uh, turn up and win by huge margins? Because I'm afraid that if we don't, we'll see a long process that, uh, a long and, you know, kind of contentious process. Yeah, I, I would take a, a little different angle. He's going to protest no matter what. Yes. Joe Biden yeah. could get 90% of the vote. He's going to say, nope, it, you know, you had 3 million um, falsified ballots or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so we just have to go out and win. And we have to make sure that no one feels that their vote doesn't matter or isn't necessary. Yeah. What's necessary is that everyone makes sure their voice is heard. Uh, and I, I think um, I'm going to be a little careful as I draw the, draw, draw the connection, but what you're seeing happening in Belarus now, uh, Luke Jackson says he got 80% of the vote. Well, I can just look at what's happening on the streets. No, that's not the case. Because the people are saying, you don't represent us. But we need everybody. Your generation, our generation, and everyone in between. People in the cities, people in the country. What we've seen in the convention, Republicans and Democrats, to come together and saying, we are a country of laws. We are a country based on some founding ideals of equality and a march towards perfection, understanding that we have a history of imperfections, but we also have a history of working to address those imperfections. And if we're going to be that country that our founders conceived, that all of us want to achieve, we need to be out there and voting. And if we do that, then I think you're right. We'll have that large margin. He'll still protest, but it will fall on death. Yeah, for sure. Um, before we draw this discussion to an end. Um, I was wondering if there's anything you want to add in terms of just the stakes of this election and really um, urging everyone to turn out and vote. Well, so what, what, what's at stake in this election? Uh, Vice President Biden has said that uh, it's the soul of our country is at stake. He's 100% right. If you look at what's happening of uh, who we are, putting uh, children in, in cages, that's what's at stake. If you look at if we get through this pandemic, the next crisis we're going to face is climate change. It's already facing it. Uh, I was talking to one of my colleagues in Colorado. They're fighting the second largest fire in the state's history in the midst mm -hmm. of the uh, pandemic. Um, we have to take on climate change. Donald Trump's not going to take on climate change. He's going to continue to deny it. That's what's at stake. Uh, we can talk about uh, the next pandemic. Are we going to be prepared for it? Are we going to look to the science and make sure nothing like what we're experiencing in 2020 ever happens again. Donald Trump will make sure that doesn't happen. Joe Biden will put us on the path to make sure that we're, we're ready. Uh, so what's at stake in this election is the future of our country, the future we want for our children, future civilization on this planet. 
Other than that, no pressure. You decide whether you want to vote and have your voice heard. <laughs> well, that was such a compelling answer. And um, Jill and I had so much fun. Thank you so much, Congressman Schneider, for joining us today. Well, Victor, Jill, thank you. This is, has been a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, let's have a great convention. Let's uh, begin to print November 3rd. And make sure we get get it done. We hope you listening also enjoy this episode. Be sure to follow us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, and send us suggestions, ideas for future topics, and speakers you would like to see via Jill, myself, or our website. Lastly, Intergenerational Politics is now on Apple Podcasts, so be sure to subscribe and rate our channel to support us. Thanks for listening, and see you on our next episode.